Turn your, turn your gain up a little bit, believe it or not, on your microphone. I haven't, I haven't touched anything, by the way, so I don't know what that means. Let's figure this out. Move this up. Oh. One, two, three. One, two, three. There you go. That's better. Is that it? Good. Yeah. Um, it's a lot better. And that gives it less work for uh, the engineering guys to do. Yep. It's the JT and Looney podcast. Episode 57. Preseason, I picked the Baltimore Ravens to beat the Minnesota Vikings. I love the Vikings. I thought they had everything. How They're, good is this Dalvin Cook? Have you seen him play? Oh, my God, yeah. Did you they, see? I mean, did you see? He's impressive. Did you see Adrian Peterson's eyes go up when he watched Dalvin Cook run? They got off to such a bad start. The one thing you don't want to have in football, we cover it. Go 0-2, you're dead. Go 0-3, 1-4, you're dead. The Vikings are digging out of the most dangerous hole I hope they get to the playoffs. If not, I was wrong. I got Baltimore still. If we take a look at the Looney Game Show music playoffs now, <laughs> if the playoffs started tonight, uh-huh. there are seven teams in the playoffs, but Roger Goodell this week gave a contingency plan for eight, which my conspiracy theory is there's going to be eight because he told us. He said we have a right. contingency plan, which means he knows the numbers from Fauci and everyone better than us, so we're going to have eight. But there's only seven. Here's your AFC. Pittsburgh, eight, no, the one seed. Kansas City, eight and one, the two seed. Buffalo, after drubbing Seattle, wow. the three seed at seven and two. Phillip Rivers, off after beating Tennessee at Tennessee, is your division winner four seed. Baltimore's the wild card at six and two. Tennessee at six and three. And ladies and gentlemen, your Las Vegas Raiders Whoa. five and three are in the playoffs as of tonight's podcast. Nice. Oh, that is nice. And I feel sorry for anybody this year who's got to play the Baltimore Ravens the first round of the playoffs because they 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 were the team last year that front the first eleven or twelve weeks they were unbelievable. They're going to finish better than they start this year, and that's that's not good news for anybody else. Your NFC, New Orleans, who gave Tom Brady the worst loss of his life, dating back to Pop Warner, Michigan. (laughs) Wow, we could do a podcast on that game. Six and two. The two-seed Seattle in the West, six and two. Three-seed Aaron Rodgers winning the North at six and two. The four-seed with a home game. The three, four, and one Philadelphia Eagles. Wow. Division winner, they get the four seed. Your first wild card's Tampa Bay at six and three. Your second wild card's Arizona at five and three. And your final wild card, if we go to seven, is a team I like a lot. Your Los Angeles Rams. Oh, God, Rams yeah. Fan, but in your city, that's a team I think's coming right now. Oh. And if they beat the Seahawks coming up this weekend in L.A., Aaron Donald, Jared Goff, oh, oh nothing, Jalen Ramsey. That team's on their way to the playoffs. They're a, they're a super loaded team. I don't know how they do it in the salary cap era, but if the Rams the, the Rams finish strong, they could be going to the Super Bowl. That's a that's an incredible rundown. Of, now, you know, I will tell you this about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I, I, I compare the New Orleans Saints to Leslie Stahl. If, if, you, <laughs> if you can't handle Leslie Stahl, then you can't handle the White House. Hey, Tom Brady, if you can't handle the New Orleans Saints, you can't handle anybody in the AFC. I disagree. I think they're so good. They had a bad game. They being the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? Yeah, I think it's one of the uh, – Here's this is a great way 
to wrap up our football. I think it's one of the biggest losses ever, ever by a team. Because I went through Tony Dungy's Super Bowl year. The, oh, by the way, he only won one. Right. TV, he only won one. And uh, is the year he won the Super Bowl, they had a devastating loss. Look at all the coaches. Gruden won with Tampa. It's a fun thing to do. Because don't do it with okay. Belichick because Belichick's different. Go right. find every, every Super Bowl head coach in the last 20 years and look at their worst loss. It'll blow your doors off. They all had a 34 yeah. to 7 loss. This loss by Brady could go down as the worst loss by a team that wins the Super Bowl if they win oh. in the regular season. So they're going to have to jump that fence, Tom, if they want to win this and break that stat because they got humiliated. Did you like my Leslie Starr New Orleans Saints analogy? I loved it. <laughs> well, hopefully, you'll love my. Believe Podcast Network, Bet Online, live read, but it won't sound like I'm reading because I am a broadcast professional. The NFL season's in full swing. You might not be at the game this year, but you can still bet online at Bet Online. BetOnline.ag specifically from game spreads and totals, team players, coaching props. Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any other place on planet Earth. There's always the online casino open 24 hours a day, seven days a week, like the red light district in Amsterdam or the 7-Eleven on the corner. BetOnline.ag, always there for you. So head to BetOnline.ag, take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. BetOnline.ag, sign up as soon as possible. Este momento, as we say in Southern California, BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Now that... Is how you do it without sounding like you're reading. And you got to have enthusiasm. So many guys in podcasts and radio just reading. Yeah, the NFL season's supposed to. They just try to get through it really, really quickly to get back to their boring shows. It's ridiculous. Oh, I, just, I think uh, when I was throwing my little tantrum there, I, uh, I unplugged you. Let me see. You there? Yeah. Hey. How you doing? Can you hear me? Yeah. Good. Say hi to my bride for a second. Sure. Okay, hold on. Hey, honey. Come say hi to Looney. Did some Not right now. I'm podcasting. Hey. Hi. How you doing? Hey, how are you? Good. I've never I've never seen you with a microphone before. Yeah, it's not really my thing. Oh, oh I don't know, but I bet you'd be really, really good. Well... Well, but you, know. you, well, I don't. But here's the thing: you're Midwestern and kind. That doesn't really cut it. <laughs> well, I have that flip side if I need to. Use oh, it, I so. know you do. I didn't say you were soft. <laughs> right. Well, I think that's. Jasper, I, come here and say hi to Lenny. Ah, there's the golden doodle. Oh, sweet. I know. Yeah. I, I, I was. Yeah, I think that that's one of the things about. Uh, you know, when people mix up kindness for weakness, that's when they make right. a big mistake, right? <laughs> right, 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 right. When they see no, that's that's funny. Yeah. That's good. No, I just like to be behind. I like to be like behind play, the scenes. Play with our backdrop. I'm what do you want to be? I like that one, actually. Where I'd rather be. I'd like to be there right now. How's um, Jason? Oh, he's good. He's sleeping. 
Okay. Sleeps all day, stays up all night. Well, yes, it's uh, we. I, he's always been that growth hormone boy. Yes. I know that, uh... Yeah, he's always been opposite. And um, what <laughs> else? He did really good on his ACT, so now he thinks he's hot shit. Uh, <laughs> great. Great. So he's being a little cocky. I'm like, well, too bad your grades aren't don't match that. Yeah. Well, that's but whatever. That might mean he's a little more creative. Also, yeah, I didn't. I did not mature academically until I went to college. Yeah, that's how Johnny's been. Yeah, but Jason's like, well, if it's not important, I don't bother doing it. And that's always a fear. As a fear <laughs> as a parent is that if he ever thinks to himself, it's not important to do what you say. That's what. <laughs> that's what you. you know, like, I don't really care about Hamlet right now. I don't think that's important. Yeah, and that's what uh, that was my attitude in high school. I think I I thought to myself, I think they're telling me this is really important, but I think college is important. This probably isn't, but they have to tell us it is. And it's too, you know. And most other kids never stop to think about that. So that's a bright child. Oh, he, he yeah, but yep. he's seven and two in both fantasy leagues. <laughs> so that's that's all that's important to him right, right now. Exactly. So, exactly. but it's good. It's good. That, that's good. Um, I don't know. Uh, what else? Have you watched the Queen's Gambit? No, I just found out about the Queen's Gambit last night. Is that the one where the, the about the chess player? Yes, but you don't. Do you play chess? No, but Renee does. And well, we like. I know nothing, and, and I like. It. I, I and I like period pieces. Yeah, you'll love it, etc. And uh, and I hear the music's great. Really good. So I just found out about and all that. It's it's really good. I I feel like I'm behind on this, but did you know that the TV show Catfish was based originally on a documentary? Kind of. I mean, yeah, he was he was fooled when he was young, and his brother was a filmmaker, and he wasn't really in the TV. Neve, the Neve guy. Neve, Neve, yeah. Doing great on Dancing with the Stars, by the way. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, yeah, I was, uh, I, I tripped into the original documentary and it was pretty good. And you see why he got the TV show because he was in love with this woman who lived in Minnesota. It originally started by this eight year old girl who was sending him paintings of his photography, which ended up, which was in the New York New City newspaper. And then he realized it was all this middle aged housewife who was raising, you know, a couple of, uh, special needs kids. And he, but he went to meet her. And talk it through about why she did it, and he was so good. I think that's why he got to instead of being pissed off that he was in love with an imaginary woman his age, he was cool about it, and that's how he ended up with that TV show. It's I was um, I was really so so I tripped across that, and I like that on Netflix. If familiar you familiar with it, but not that much. What else? We've been watching the new David Letterman. Series. Uh, I did for a while. I was a little bit disappointed. I guess. Yeah, which one did we watched? Robert Downey Jr. Uh, and Chappelle. I want to watch the Lizzo one. Are there? Are you, are you telling me they're new ones? Yes, there's four new ones. Okay. Okay. Good. Because I still might take a look. Because in my book, he could. He was such an influence on me that he can't do any wrong. So right. I don't like to see him at his best. I mean, I and when he's not at his best. Beard either. It's kind of weird. I, I hate, and that, that's another th- problem I have. I hate beards. Look at me. But I uh, I hate beards. But he's still good. I used to watch him, too, because he'd be on late, late, like after Johnny Carson. And even in high school, I'd stay up and watch his show. Yeah, it was, uh, it was 1230 to 130. I watched it I religiously, and I recorded it religiously. Endless. The whole thing. Yeah, yeah. I um, I, I, that was he had a huge influence on me. Mm-hmm. 
Well, one of them's Kim Kardashian, so she may have a huge influence when you see them together for an hour or two. Yeah. <laughs> That'll be she good. have a huge influence on you, too. So, all right. Well, I'll let you guys talk. It's good, good to, good to talk up. to you. Good to Everything. see you. This is the only way anybody gets to see each other anymore. Hey, it's, uh, it's Tiger. My wife went through my phone and uh, maybe calling you. Tiger Woods had a great day one. How did he do today? He's pissed off because he knew that he played great day one. Yeah. But the weather issues and the darkness, because they're playing this in November, so the it gets darker at Augusta earlier. He was in the group that went out late in day two. Uh, so the okay. problem with Tiger Woods is he got royally screwed, where Dustin Johnson was stopped after nine holes. He went out, played great, and then he barely, it was great television. He had, and I, I'm fascinated by the Masters' shitty way of showing the match, the, the right. tournament. I, I go crazy with this, but Dustin Johnson played his nine and went low, and then he got to go right out after a 30-minute food break and go play 18 before Tiger even started day two. So you saw Dustin Johnson go uh, to nine under right. as Tiger was sitting at home gripping his clubs and pacing going, really? I, I went four under, and then I go late day two, and we're not going to even be able to get in the majority of our well, Why aren't they smart enough to treat him different? Not preferential treatment, just differential treatment for the sake of the sport. Great question. They don't. That's what's so good about this gentleman's game of golf. Everybody's got to play the same lie. If you hit it that way, you can't touch it. You play the same ball. You're putting on the same greens. There's no advantage. Mike Trout in a baseball game faces a really good pitcher in the first and fourth inning, and then in the sixth and seventh, he faces a bum. An right. absolute bum who might give up a home run to him in a double, and you add it all up. When you play Augusta National, you're playing the Masters every hole. And Tiger's told us, it's what we've been talking about on this podcast since March, is you know, the world has stopped for sports, but it kind of hasn't because they're making up these events. LeBron won a championship. The Dodgers won a championship. Chase Elliott just won the NASCAR championship, and they kept the Masters on the calendar. Thank you. They yes. easily could have said, we're so big, we're Bobby Jones, we're Jack and Arnie. How dare you? We wouldn't let Martha Burke through the gate. We made her <laughs> protest outside before Condoleezza Wright. We're going to cancel till next April. Tom, they got it in, and as we record this podcast, the leaderboard is gorgeous. It's yep. got the greatest golfers in the world going up against the champions, NFL. former champions, former masters champions, uh, current stars. The leaderboard's great. Oh, and tell me this, if you didn't get excited, Louis, Ooh, it is right. Louis is a gangster. Louis must walk into Augusta. And when he pulls up, they go, Holy shit, there's Louis Ustay. That should be the title of this podcast. He's a gangster. He walks into Augusta National like Dr. Dre walks into Compton saying, I'm back. And then Louis right. just goes low. And Bernard Longer, a guy in his 60s, I love is shooting that. darts at it. So, I'm Well, by the way, that is one of the reasons why uh, Tiger Woods could catch Jack because of yes. Augusta. The Masters. He knows this golf course. He's not going to do it at winged foot where he can't make the cut, but he could do it. He could catch Jack just because of Augusta. Well, thanks for complimenting me because I've always said that Tiger would do that. And the only way I've moved off it a bit is I always said that Tiger would pass Jack 
But I always said by passing him, he would at least tie him, right? Right. Him, you have to tie him. And I think before what happened with the five iron and hitting the fire hydrant and the drugs, you know, the, the pills, and right. the divorce, he would have he crushed Jack. Overall, he would have passed him easily. But that 10-year hiatus now means that he's going to have to play great. This is a good example, Tom, of why it's so tough. He gets out to four under. He's one of the leaders on Thursday. As my dad says, it shows you how great these golfers are. By the next day and the next afternoon, even though there's a time delay and Tiger's playing late, he's chasing everybody again. I mean, it's, oh, yeah. it's hard. It's hard to win majors, even for a guy like... Sorry. Let me turn it off. This, this is life now. We have noises. We have lots of them. We have phones going off. And we don't even need to edit out stuff. This is our life. So we never have to worry about that. And it's, this isn't church. This isn't church where you're going to get in trouble. That is an awfully long ring. Where did you put the phone? And, and, and did, you, did you put the phone in Reno? Where was, where was that phone that you had to go get? That's funny. Uh, I want to take a look, though. A lot of times people have said what you said about... Tiger Woods and the you know the ten year hiatus. Yeah, let me pick it up from where I think the Bluetooth went off. You can add yeah. it. All right. three, two, and one. So with Tiger, it just goes to show you. Even though I think he'll catch Jack, because as you said beautifully, he'll play the Masters for at least another six, seven, eight years in perfect health, hitting the ball and having a shot to win. It's hard because there's so many guys in their twenties in early 30s who are shooting darts at these pins, and it only takes one of them to beat them, one of those 30 great golfers to beat Tiger. So he needs everything to fall perfectly. But as you said, the best place for him to win and catch him is at Augusta. Well, here's another thing, too. You know, Tiger, since the incident, uh, has won the Arnold Palmer Invitational, the Memorial, the AT&T, the Farmers Insurance Open, the WGC Cadillac Championship, the Arnold Palmer Invitational again, the Players Championship, WGC Bridgestone, the Tour Championship, the Masters, and the Zozo <laughs> Championship. That would be a great career for Joey Sindelar. Right? That's a great career for any average Joe. Uh, and so uh, for, he really... I think he was the golfer of the year in 2012 with four tournament wins. And then he had three tournament wins in 2013. Now these aren't, these aren't majors, but for any other human being who, who actually can make an elite golfer who makes it into the PGA, ever since Tiger's incident, that would be a great career for anybody else. Well, you've always pointed that out. You've yep. always pointed out that when no one else was taking advantage of his time away from the game. And that the big one was Phil Mickelson. Phil yep. has had an Hall of Fame career, and he's won plenty of majors, but Phil should have carved up majors as Tiger was melting down and not doing well. But Tiger, what's interesting about golf, and this Bryson DeChambeau is fascinating to what me. What a great name, too. I wish I thought of it for radio 20 years ago. Yeah, you would have taken the name. Bryson DeChambeau. <laughs> He said this week coming into Augusta that he was going to step into the batter's box and try to hit a home run. He even said, and I believe it was 13, if I'm wrong, correct me, uh, put a comment in, whatever hole it was, he was going to literally try to hit his drive so far into the other fairway. 
So think of this. He was going to try to hit it from the hole to the other fairway so he'd have a better look into the green from the other fairway. Wow. That's how insane this guy is and good he is. As you know, I like Bryson because he's American. And America gets their ass kicked in the Ryder Cup from time to time. So finally we have a guy. You're a bodybuilder, so you get this. Finally we have a guy who is eating right drinking 11 extra protein shakes, doing everything right to work out and uses clubs correctly. And he says, I want to be the best ever. I want to hit it farther than everybody. And we have these golf snobs who are saying, oh, I don't like him. He has a private jet. He's got a Rolls Royce. What a dick. I'm like, are you out of your mind? When we go play in France at the Ryder Cup or years from now in another country and he steps up to the first tee, and some guy like Molinari or some little Brit like Fleetwood who weighs 100 pounds soaking wet looks at Bryson DeChambeau and goes, shit, this guy's going to kick my ass. American golfers should be rooting for a guy like this, Tom. Yeah, they should. A lot of times, though, and we've covered it in all areas of sports, people are, are really affected by change. Uh, and uh, we cover sports. You could do it with music. You could do it in any aspect of society. Language right now is a big uh, thing. People, as the language evolves, people get upset about new words or words you used to be able to say that you couldn't say. And in the same thing in sports, you remember when Tony Romo came along and decided to broadcast the game differently than other people? Uh, put a quarter turn on the mundane. Anytime anybody does that, uh, it raises people's feathers. But I, I I enjoy it. I'm the other guy. When everyone's zigging, I'm zagging. And I'm enjoying watching him play. And, and he's trying to encourage this sport. You know, and that's tied to the Tiger Woods effect. Hey, guys, we're supposed to be athletes here. Let's look like them. And guess what? If Maybe if you do work out a little bit, it'll improve your game. And it's, it's helped a lot of guys, especially him. Hey, somebody has run out on the field. Some goofball in a hat. And a red shirt. Now he takes off the shirt. He's running down the middle by the 50. He's at the 30. He's bare-chested and banging his chest. Now he runs the opposite way. He runs at the 50. He runs at the 40. The guy is drunk. But there he goes. The 20. They're chasing him. They're not going to get him. Waving his arms. Bare-chested. Somebody stop Look that out. man. Here comes the blue coat. Oh, Gavin. they got him. Here comes They're coming the blue from the coat. Oh, and they tackle him at the 40-yard line. Great segue to something that I wanted to tell you about. You mentioned Tony Romo as a mm-hmm. broadcaster, and we were geeks on broadcasting. Yeah. So today on Friday, I had this huge busy week, two radio shows, a couple TV shows, and our guest on our television show for the Raiders, Talk of the Nation, today, 9.30. I'm in the suit on the flight deck of the Raider headquarters, and the first guest they tell me in my ear is Kevin Harlan. Oh, my God. And I go... <laughs> I knew this last night. I knew he was going to be one of the three. I didn't know what time. And they say, Kevin, uh, say hello to JT. And I go, Kevin, how are you? And he goes, it was like Howard Cosell, Kurt Gowdy, Bill King, whoever it is, whoever is your, the guy that you think, Marv Albert, great example. Right. He, the voice comes in. JT, it's a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on your show. And I'm like, this isn't my show. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just hosting it. And wow. a little small talk, three, two, one. We welcome in, and I, my open, I wanted to get right. I said we welcome in who I believe is one of the greatest broadcasters in all of sports, Kevin Harlan. And like you say, wind him up and let him go. Yep. I ask him three or four questions. And we're going through this, and I asked him about broadcasting during COVID. So he's in his office in Kansas City. 
where he lives. It's got pictures behind him, big leather chair. And he says, yeah, you know, I have to leave and then I have to fly to the city where I'm flying to and I have to take the COVID test and then I have to be in lockdown and then I call the game and then I fly out. Ready for this? I fly out from Vegas where he'll be this week to the Monday night game because he's the national voice on radio for Monday night football. And he said the only thing uh, different, JT, is I'm not doing my Thursday night TNT NBA game because the NBA was pushed back. Right. He's doing the NBA too. Oh, yeah. He does everything, and he does everything great. So we wrap up the interview, and he's gracious with his time. And I wrap it up by saying – Kevin, I speak for many. I just wanted to tell you, not only do I think you're one of the greatest broadcasters right now, but I think you're going to go down as one of the greatest broadcasters of all time. And he really appreciated the compliment, and we said some nice things off the air. And I always remember every time I've ever seen him in a stadium Final Four, he comes up to me, he doesn't say hello, he goes, how's how's Looney? (laughs) <laughs> the biggest loony fan i've ever met and I, the only thing i didn't bring up on the raider uh Ra- the television show was was you but i wanted no, to that wouldn't fit in anywhere right but it was we could fit it in we could fit it, in. it was uh but he he ha- is one of those guys and if you ever heard him doing monday night football that's where the, there are guys who you know, and and broadcasting has evolved, so most of the guys know the difference between radio and TV, and you don't have to be as wordy on TV as you are on the radio, because on the radio you're painting pictures. I've never seen anybody paint so fast with so much detail. He is like a sideshow, but I mean this in the in the with the best of compliments, where you watch a guy paint a masterpiece, but you see him do it in thirty seconds, and he does this. But in, in football, it's 30-second masterpiece, 30-second masterpiece, 30-second masterpiece, because there's a play every 30 seconds, 30 to 45 seconds. And he just goes one after another and after another, and he's talking about left to right and wide out and what the defense is, and he gives every detail without stuttering or stammering like a normal person would for three or four straight hours every Monday night on the radio, and it's incredible. I wanted to share one more thing with you that you'll love as a radio geek is that he wraps up the interview, and he also said, I go, well, who are your biggest influences? And he didn't play this up because he was on a Raiders show. He mentioned John Facenda. Oh, okay. Right? John Facenda, the voice of NFL films. Mm-hmm. And then he mentioned Bill King, the legendary Hall of Fame broadcaster for the Raiders. And as he was wrapping it up, to paraphrase what he said, he says, JT, still to this day, whenever he does a game on Sunday, when he leaves the hotel, his room, listen to how deep this is. On his phone, he has a recording of John Facenda talking NFL, one of the historic lines. Right. And he listens to that bite to start his day to get him ready for the broadcast. Oh, that's oh my crazy. God. Oh, I was like, crazy. are you kidding me? Well, the thing that's really cool about that is because he doesn't lose an appreciation for not only what he has done with his own life, but the job that other people allow him to have. And those are really the great guys who always keep it in perspective. Over the years, we talked to another one of our gold standard favorites, Jim Lampley, who we really got to know all those years, going to all those fights in Vegas. And I was a huge fan before I ever had the privilege of working with him at Fox Sports Radio and interviewing him in Vegas at all those fights. And I remember once he was on with the loose cannon, Steve Hartman and former uh, L.A. Laker, uh, Michael Thompson, and they were replaying a, a knockout call. It was 
Oscar De La Hoya and Ricardo Mayorga in Vegas. And we were there at that fight at the Mandalay Bay where the flying fishes play. And might have been at the MGM. But when that happened, Emmanuel Stewart kind of stepped on Jim Lampley's call when Mayorga got knocked down. And they played it back. And then when they came, when they were done playing it, Michael Thompson said to Jim Lampley, does it drive you nuts? You know, when, when you, there's a knockdown and the guy you're broadcasting with talks over, ruins it. <laughs> and uh, and Jim, Jim Lampley said, there'll be other knockdowns. There'll be other fights. I was like, just to put it all in perspective. I got a cool job. I got the microphone. I got the chair. There'll be other fights. He didn't do it on purpose. I'm fine with it. And it's guys like that and guys like Kevin Harlan, like, wow, I got this cool job. I'm going to listen to this to remind me that I got it and go do it. And that's why he'll always be good. Yeah, we have a new audience on our Believe podcast partnership. And Looney and I, for 14 years on radio, did a show and we interviewed Jim Lampley literally at every big fight. Yep. We, we were able to go to every radio row. Hopefully we will with this podcast, which I think we will in the future. And every time Jim Lampley would come down from his hotel room to join us, and it was chaos in the right. media room. You know, people coming and going, fighters and all that, and Jim would come right to us and sit down. So gracious with his time, my heart rate would go up. Right. You and Jim know each other much longer than me. And then I knew and Jim knew that we were going to get into politics. Mm-hmm. We differ on our political views. I would find a way in the interview to kind of go political with them. Right, to open that door. Yep. Open that door, and I would see the veins on his neck in a good way. He's a fit guy. He's always mm-hmm. in shape. And he would look at me, and I could see the change in his face. Sometimes we, he got it. Other times he was not happy with me where mm-hmm. I was going. I thought it was some of the best radio we ever did. Always, because he was one of those guys. He was a broadcast savant who could talk about anything, give him a mic, say hello, let him go. It could be a game show. He could be hosting in studio. He could be calling the NFL. He's done the Indianapolis 500. If you ever want a wiki, all the things he's done, it's like Chris Myers. He has done everything. And do you know, a great fun fact about Jim Lampley is he was given boxing at NBC as kind of a punishment. A new head of NBC Sports came in and didn't like Jim Lampley, took him off hosting NFL Live on NBC and uh, and put him on boxing, thinking, I'll put him on boxing. That'll piss him off. But that was his favorite sport, and it was his first love. And they put him on boxing on NBC, and you know the guys at HBO saw him and thought, with no disrespect to who was at HBO before, and I think it was Barry Tompkins, the guys at HBO liked him better. And because of the punishment at NBC of putting him on boxing, he got the biggest job of his life, the biggest contract, the biggest money of his life at HBO. And so it's, 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 uh, I love how life and the universe works sometimes when you think you're getting a demotion and it ends up being the greatest thing that ever happened. CNN projects Joseph R. Biden Jr. is elected the 46th president of the United States, winning the White House and denying President Trump a second term. Well, good segue again. You're a segue king, by the way. I don't know if you clapped this. I mean, you know, again, a lot of other guys that we talk about have writers and teleprompters, and we're doing this. I have a double pour of Silver Oak, a little double pour. Oh, good. I worked my ass off this week. I was going to have a Modelo, but I have a nice glass of wine here. Well, I did text you to to open up the Raise the Curtain. I did text you and say, hey, you've had a 
pretty glamorous week. If you if you want to be done, be done. But you're here like a soldier for this podcast. Soldier. Uh, the segue is this. When it comes to election fraud, I have just some basics here I want to tell you. Okay. If there is absolutely no fraud at all, none. Right. I'm great with that because I believe, like many, there isn't a lot of election fraud. There right. isn't. Now, I know there's election fraud because in every state, in every district, there's going to be a mistake. It's going to be right. a mistake either from – Well, mistakes someone, aren't fraud. Mistakes yeah, are mistakes. Right. That's okay. what I'm saying. So there's going to be a mistake where someone knowingly makes a mistake. That would be fraud where someone went in consciously – to vote illegally by mail or mm-hmm. whatever they can do. And I don't think that happens often. No, so people don't have the time. Yeah. People don't have the time, and it doesn't happen often, but I'm aware it could happen. The only thing I want to say here is that if there is obvious fraud, which means machines and software right. set with the ability ahead of the time for fraud, they knew that the machines and the software mm-hmm. would change votes. That's real election fraud. Don't know if there's any of that or not, but rumors and this and that. And secondly, if there's fraud in the mail-in process, that means the mail-in votes were from people who no longer lived in the state or were long gone or were dead and all that. I want to count those votes, too, and get them out of the vote. So that's all I'm saying on this. I believe Biden won. I told you he would win. I think I nailed it perfectly. But I'm very comfortable in looking at these votes again. Well, yeah, and, you know, if if, uh, dead people vote, or you know, a lot of times what people mix up is voter registration fraud with voter fraud. The, you know, if, if Bozo the Clown registers to vote, that's voter registration fraud. If Bozo the Clown votes, <laughs> that's a different story. And so a lot of times over the years, the spin machines are sometimes called voter registration fraud, voter fraud. And those are two major different things. And also people, you know, people don't have... How long, like you said, you would need to have software. And it's hard, you know, the, our nuclear our nuclear facilities use old-fashioned technology for the purpose of it's hard to hack a floppy disk that's in someone's hand because it's not plugged in. And so they purposely use old-fashioned technology so it can't be hacked into. And in half of our country where our moms have worked, at these polling places, they still have the they still have the uh, uh, non-digital thing where you push open, you have that lever and it closes the curtain and you push the button. It's not even plugged into anything. And half the country is that. Well, 25% of the country is that. 25% of the country uses a magic marker to vote. So that's all stuff that's really hard to hack into since it's not plugged into anything. Those are called in and then it's written down. So um, whatever it takes, and right, and if there was any to this time, they didn't do a very good job. But you are the biggest fan of anybody I know of the uh, the show called Homeland, right? Mm-hmm. And our Department of Homeland Security came out with an announcement that probably didn't please conspiracy theorists that said this was the most secure election in the history of the country. So quite opposite of the message we're getting. And, you know, those guys at Home Department of Homeland Security aren't a bunch of liberals, as you know. And they do an amazing job, as you know. What I think is fascinating here is I was on the radio that night on Mad Dog and uh-huh. I was looking at the odds because there's no way to do sports Ooh, radio with politics. Yes, yes. So there's no way to do sports radio with politics. You're either going to do politics. Right. Say, We're not talking about sports tonight, which would have been a great idea. 
because there was no one talking about sports that night. Right. <laughs> on a side note. So the way I tried to bring in the election on election night in real time from 7 to 10 Pacific, 10 to 1 Eastern, right in the hot zone. I mean, right in the – Oh, yeah. You, you want to be talking <laughs> politics. Donald Trump was up so much that Bavada and the odds business had him minus 600, minus 400. He was the heavy favorite. So the people who really cared who were looking at the stock market, the NASDAQ being up, overnight trading, it got to a point where it really looked like, for mostly conservatives and Republicans who voted for him, oh, my God, this is going perfectly. He's up in all of his. Right. Biden's up where he is up. But these swing states, he's up big right. in Pennsylvania, big in Georgia, all these places. Right. Oh, I, I, I wanted to ask you this, and I hope I'm not interrupting you too soon on your point, but, did, does, but you're in Vegas, and you know these guys. Yeah. Yeah. Did these guys know... What people like, like David Axelrod, when I was going to bed, was on CNN saying, I'd rather be Biden right now. And I thought, really? But, you know, he was the numbers guy because he knew the numbers were going to rebound once they counted Pennsylvania and Michigan and Wisconsin, where, where Trump was ahead in those three. And those were really the three big, most important ones. And when I woke up, he was ahead in two out of three, Joe. But did did Vegas know what David Axelrod knew? No. I and think try to bilk people for their money to get them to bet on Trump? This is offshore betting. This isn't oh, okay. the things that are happening. But, okay. No, but people are really looking at the odds. In Europe, it's huge. I mean, people are really gambling this in Europe and where there's different gaming restrictions. But what was interesting is Axelrod made the same point that I made two weeks before Axelrod. Yes. I said that. Trump was going to lose because of the mail-in ballot. I knew. Yep. I felt like every line, every line that I looked at on TV, and every time I saw it, I said, oh, my God, those are all Democrats. had yep. nothing to do with what shirts they were wearing or what they looked like. It was my philosophy that the Democrats who hated Trump and were nervous about the election on any level wanted to get their vote in well in advance. Now, not only did my parents and myself and a lot of people vote early, but we voted nowhere near at the level of the Democrats early. Right. So I going to bed that night that absolutely the next day, even though Trump was ahead, all of those mail-in ballots that were going to take days to count were going to come in heavy on Biden. I was right on that. Yep. But here's what I want us to think about. And I'm not going to let anybody use this against me in some conspiracy theory down the road. If, and this is an if, because I've talked to my friends who are really sharp, mm -hmm. who love Trump, they think it's over. They think Trump's won. And I'm going, you're out of your mind. I go, no, 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 stop. Listen to us. I'm rational. We're friends. I'm like, yeah, yeah, you know me. I go, this is done. He knew this the whole time. This was what he held back weeks ago when say when they said well trump didn't talk for 10 days when he went to the tomb of the unknown soldier trump's not talking he's just tweeting this was his only card it wasn't ten thousand votes in georgia or nevada right. he had one card to play in vegas that the machines were corrupt and the mail-in ballots were touched or something happened and right. he could win on the recount, and he's asking for the recount. Well, here's another thing, too, is he was told by the people, obviously the same people David Axelrod knows, that you're going to be way ahead on election night. So he started sending that signal out early. It just depends on election night. 
It's brilliant. Just depends on election. I mean, Bernie Sanders said it on the Tonight Show. He's going to be way behind in Pennsylvania. And so he's just going to claim victory the night before. And then the next day, he's going to be ahead in Pennsylvania and claim it was fixed. You know how Bernie talks. And they they were replaying that. And it was flying all over Twitter that Bernie predicted that months ago. And so he, they all know the same people and the same numbers people and realized it was going to go that way. And, you know, you and I had to cover Floyd Mayweather. May I make a Floyd Mayweather-Donald Trump analogy for you, JT, that my writers did not write for me? Floyd always used to say, I'm going to win this fight. And if it comes down to a decision, I'm going to win unanimously. And if I don't, it's fixed. I'm like, what are you saying about your own sport? <laughs> it's, uh, and he used to say that. It used to drive me nuts. And it always drove me nuts when sports fans did it as well, especially boxing fans or when thinks everything's fixed. So if my guy wins, it's because he's better. And he was fair and square. If your guy wins, it's because it's probably fixed. And I always thought, that was always a punk move you know, for boxing fans. That you can't just congratulate me that my guy won. Weeks ago and months ago on this podcast, the JT and Looney podcast, I said two things that I want to stay with me the rest of my life. I said, number one, that COVID was real. Mm-hmm. And anyone who guessed wrong on COVID said maybe a thousand will die. And they mocked it and they used it as sports propaganda. And they, were, they had no respect for those who, di- who, who were going to die. I didn't know if the number would be 240 on its way to 400. I had no idea. Mm. But I knew a thousand was off. And we opened up every podcast with the number. And it was 60. And it was 73, and we went to 80, and we broke 100, and then we broke 200,000. We're easily going to break 300 and maybe four. So I wanted to get that in, in this chapter of my broadcast career, telling everybody how real this was yeah. and how pathetic the people were who mocked it, guessed wrong, and never took it seriously. We did that. Number two, months ago and then weeks ago, I came on and said this. I said Biden would win in a close, contested election. You did. Not because I would vote for Biden. I'm not confident with him. I don't think he's a bad guy, but I thought, you know, the other guy would win. And when I realized he wouldn't for a number of reasons, that's where we stand now. There's one more card to play. It's going to be played out in the most aggressive way an election and a lack of transition has ever played out in American history. We're in the beginning of it. We're not we're not in the halftime. We're about the second quarter. And this thing's going to take a little bit while, and I don't have a lot of confidence that it's going to end pretty. Yeah, I just think it's, um, I think one of the most brilliant branders in the history of branding, um, with a wink and a nod to P.T. Barnum, is... Your guy, your guy. <laughs> oh, my God. I, they got to make a, they got to make another movie about him without singing. And well, that, that was good. Hugh Jackman was great. It, I, no, oh. I, I loved oh. it, but I want America to know more about P.T. Barnum and his great story. And we're not a musical country oh, anymore. Him hanging outside a house fire singing. No, right. Through the fire truck saying you don't want yeah. that, any of that. Right. Yeah. It's, you know, that's a cool format for the 1960s. <laughs> but this is not the 1960s. And. And they made a really cool old-fashioned movie about an amazing guy in P.T. Barnum, but I would like to make them have them make a non-musical about P.T. Barnum. And Donald Trump is not another uh, P.T. Barnum. And by the way, uh, as I'm saying, making that analogy, that's not an insult. P.T. Barnum, I revere. 
and great branding, I revere, because I was always able to do that well in the restaurant business. I understand great branding. And this is all going to work out really well for him. And the branding department, he's still got, we have a president-elect named Joe, and all anybody can say is Trump, 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 Trump. It's, he says, well, it's not going to end here. And so he's doing a, a brilliant job with that. Um, today, he didn't sound as confident. You know why he's disappeared, too? And this is a great compliment. Because he had pneumonia, mm -hmm. and he flew all over the country like Superman, doing three and four events a day, you know, from Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania, to that little district in Nebraska, and up to Maine, to that little district, and up and down to all the hot spots in the places in Pennsylvania, et cetera, where he needed to get people out. When he had pneumonia, is is painful when you're any age, but he's 74. So they had to jack him up on prednisone and all this stuff. He needs 10 days to do a lot less. So people are saying, oh, he's not, he's not doing his job. Yeah, because he wanted to do it again so bad. And we can, everyone can talk about whatever reason he wanted to do it and whether he just cares about himself or American, blah, blah, blah. But let's just talk about the reality of a 74 year old guy with pneumonia who, who, campaigned like he was 35 and i knew that he would have to disappear for a while and go to bed and that's what he's that's where he's been and that's okay because he doesn't feel good how great was my wife in her first ever podcast oh my god great to have her and it, you know here's what it does it lets uh the listener know that jt the brick is not a cartoon not a screaming cartoon. He's a quiet man named John who actually has a wife and children and lives in Las Vegas and watches the TV quietly or in the morning, quietly with a cup of coffee and watches The View. <laughs> Good. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.